Welcome to the latest edition of the KFAN College Football Podcast. Thanks for finding us here on the Gophers On Demand channel of your iHeartRadio app. Happy to be joined, as always, by the co-host, Dan O'Brien. What's going on, OB? JG, good to see you again today. Another exciting week, college football behind us, and, of course, coming up as well. Crazy week in college football last weekend, especially if you were in the top five. We're going to get to all of that. We've got a lot of things to discuss regarding uh, the national picture, of course, as well as the Big Ten. We've got another edition of playoff rankings to get to, some movement there. It was a good weekend for Wisconsin, if you're a Wisconsin Badger fan listening to this, which we will get to in a little bit. Uh, But we always like to start, OB, with what happened here locally, with what happened at TCF Bank Stadium, an 11 o'clock kick, which I absolutely loved after a couple of night games. Felt like we were rushed all morning. (laughs) I I was up in the press box, and all of a sudden I'm talking to Mike Grimm, the play-by-play guy, and we're both sitting there going, hey, we're on the air in like 12 minutes. We should probably get organized here because we had those night games the last couple of weeks, we've had five night games this year. These 11 o'clock kicks, we were unaccustomed to it. But, but how was that afternoon, though, Garcia? The afternoon was pretty nice, wasn't it? It was nice getting home about 4.30. Had plenty of time to get ready for the one-year-old's birthday party the following nice. day. Most Fabulous. important, my wife was happy. And then later that night, we found out it's an 11 o'clock kick in Chicago this weekend in Evanston. So uh, she was happy about that as well. Uh, but when the game started... Uh, there was no sleepiness in the game. Both teams started really fast. Rodney Smith, of course, with the 100-yard touchdown run. Nebraska punches back. They go kind of back and forth for a minute, and then there was that critical fourth down uh, stop by the Gophers and then subsequently the Demery Croft run. But before we talk specifics, OB, uh, your overall thoughts on what was a heck of a day for the Gophers, especially offensively. Yeah, it sure was. And I think the thing that stood out to me was how well we controlled the line of scrimmage. Uh, and when you think about that, uh, particularly on the offensive side, we did that without Jared Weiler, who I think is not think I know he's their leader in there. He's a tough kid. He's a yeah. junior, and and he's a, he's kind of their their go to guy in there. And of course, he did it without uh, Nick Conley. You know, he's not playing with him anymore either. So, I think they had to be real happy with hap- what happened on the offensive side of the ball. Demery, I thought, uh, definitely took a step forward, and his numbers were pretty good. I think we got to be careful not to not to put ourselves. Too far ahead of that deal, I don't think he's going to do that every single week, throw as well as he did. Uh, hopefully he'll continue to run that well. But a couple of things that, that stood out to me, we scored double digits uh, all four quarters. We hadn't done that all year. I don't think we did that against Oregon State. Yeah. Uh, but if you can do that, I, obviously that's outstanding. We had no turnovers, uh, and offensively we only had three penalties. So from the offensive side of the ball, I thought that was outstanding. Defensively, we were physical. We had six sacks. We held them, you know, they went for it six times on fourth down, which is a lot, and they only converted on two of the six, so that's outstanding. Um, so those pieces all lead up to a nice win, and we punted one time. Yeah, think about day. it. So After Santoso, time. a week ago, yeah. was really the only positive to talk about. He barely got off the bench. He was probably yeah. just hanging out on those nice heated benches where I like to stand. No doubt. So it was a great day, and I think we stayed healthy for it, so uh, that's exciting, and, and that uh, – I think that gives us a little confidence going into Northwestern this week. uh, Demry Croft, as you mentioned, 183 yards on the ground. That's a record for a Minnesota quarterback. He was 9 of 15 for 105 yards. You look at those numbers, and it it feels like the numbers lie a little bit on how efficient he actually was because he had a couple other throws that were right on the numbers. You know, Brandon Lingen drops one down the middle. Tyler Johnson had another drop. But uh, with Demry, PJ talked a lot about, and I've heard all you coaches say this for years, simplifying the game plan, figuring out what Demry does well, and then maximizing those positions. Well, now comes the tough part, I think, because, you, first of all, you say the game plan was pretty simple. We kept it pretty tight. Northwestern's got a pretty good defense, typically. They're looking at it, and they're going to find the four things or however many there were that you did, and they're going to make you do something different. So what's the, the chess match or the balancing act of, what Demery was able to master, as PJ said this last week, to now how do you add another wrinkle or two while keeping with keeping it simple? You know what I mean? 
Right. Well, absolutely. And I think uh, in order to make that happen, it's not just Demery. There's all kinds of pieces that have to that will play into that deal. We have to have a good day up front uh, again with the offensive line. And I'm going to tell you right now that Northwestern's defensive line is going to play us better than what uh, Nebraska's did. Yeah. Uh, they've also got a real good linebacker. Just that Nebraska had a nice linebacker too, but the Fisher kid at Northwestern, he's a real good player. So it's going to have to be uh, a bunch of different things, not just Demery. We're going to have to be able to figure out a way to to run the ball up front, uh, and then I think I think we'll continue to see us throw the short stuff and the inter- intermediate stuff, and right. we'll mix in you know some long balls in there as well. But you know, obviously the short balls. Uh, are what we we threw a lot over the weekend, and those are your high percentage passes, and and I think that's what Demery needs to get some confidence to get going a little bit. But he certainly was on the mark uh, on Saturday for sure. You can tell it's slowing down for him, and that he's just in the run game. He's just playing. You could tell where I think it, with the first game he started, maybe it was Illinois. You could tell he was hesitant, you know, whether to pull it, whether to keep it, and then he, he'd maybe see a seam and he'd kind of just limp up there, as opposed to Saturday, he was seeing what he saw. He was decisive. He was making guys miss the. On the seventy-three yard touchdown run, you know there was a guy there to make the play, and he just walked by him like he right. wasn't even there on the touchdown run in the goal line. Uh, he didn't walk by him; he basically danced by the guy. I mean, <laughs> just made like one little step, and and he was through for that one yard touchdown. But can you get the sense that he's seen things a little bit uh, slower than maybe a month ago? Yep, no question. That's one of the things that we talked about earlier uh, in the season. We talked about that things would slow down as the more reps that he got in. And that certainly is is the case. You can see that happen. He's knowing uh, when to give it, when to pull it for sure. Uh, those pieces are falling in place. And, and talent-wise, you know, there was no question whether or not he could do it. The big question was early in the year was can he consistently make good decisions. And, and we didn't see that so much in the Oregon State game, but we're certainly seeing a different Demary Croft now than what we saw then. What's left to say about Rodney Smith that we haven't said? With oh, gosh. He, impact he, he on runs special so teams? physical. Yeah. yeah, he runs so physical, so hard. The the concern I have with, with Rodney again I was around him for for two years is that you know I get I get concerned about the number of hits that he takes and the number of hits that he delivers as a running back <laughs> you know he reminds me of he runs the way Marion Barber ran he runs the way Lawrence Maroney ran uh, and those guys took a lot of body shots and I think we got to be careful with him and and I know that uh, Coach Fleck and the offensive coordinator they're, they're trying to do that they're mixing in uh, the other backs in there a little bit but that's my concern but man he runs physical he runs well and. It's very rare that he goes backwards ever. Right. He always has fallen forward with his pad level, uh, and it's rare that the first guy gets him. You know, he will usually make the first guy miss, and it's going to take the second or third guy to get him down. But he's having a great season. Even PJ, uh, we were talking about how how effective both running backs were because Kobe had a great day as well. Another you know yep. handful of touchdowns. Uh, he mentioned that there they added up the yards after contact, and it was another absurd number. So he said, as, as well as the offensive line played, and you mentioned it, giving them some room up front, and there were some big holes, and Demery obviously had a big day. He's like, there were still a lot of guys around our running backs, as yeah. you would expect, and they and they're able to get themselves out of trouble more often than not. Well, Kobe, Kobe averaged 9.3 yards a carry. That's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, you want to turn around and give it to him. He had 94 yards of the day. We should have figured out a way, guards, to get him one more carry. Yeah. And if he had hit his average, he'd had he'd had three three guys over 100 yards, which which is crazy good. Uh, Rodney Smith, he averaged five and a half yards a carry. So uh, it's good. I think yeah, you got to feel good offensively going into Northwestern for sure. Let's stay with Northwestern because all year we talk, I think rightfully so, about the Ohio States and the Penn States and the Michigans and the Wisconsins. And then you look up in November this year. Northwestern's won five games in a row. They're five and two in the Big Ten. They started zero and two in the Big Ten. They're now five and two in the Big Ten. They've won seven ball games. They pretty much no doubted Purdue this past week with a ten point victory. And here they are at twenty fifth. And it's a team where 
Yeah, I think early on in the season they had some struggles. They maybe took a loss or two that nobody expected, but it's just kind of that classic Pat Fitzgerald team. I and mean, they got run by Duke 41-17. I remember right. talking about that yep. on the podcast and thinking, what's going on over there? And here we are. They're you know five-win Big Ten team, which is not easy to do, and they're ranked again uh, 23, I think, this week. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because every year Northwestern has a game or two that they lose, and you kind of turn around and you go, what happened? What's going on over there? But then at the end of the year, they're always in the hunt. They're always in the mix. They go to a bowl game, and they usually will play well in their bowl game. Uh, but, you know, we talked about early in the year, this was kind of my, my – I said this was my surprise team in the West, and it's not going to turn out that way because Wisconsin's running away with the deal. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, they got a good quarterback, and they got a, a running back was, was, you know, the Jackson kid. He was a top-10 running back in the country at the beginning of the year in college football. So he's a good player. They got those two guys, and – the thing that they do is they do their system, you know, what they run. They do it really, really well, and they're well coached. The coaching staff's been together forever and a day. So it'll be interesting going into Northwestern, a tough place to play, though, Garzy. No, it is well, because there's no energy in it. That's the no weird energy. part. You have to make your own. We've, we've had fun with the 11 o'clock kicks in Evanston, but it's a real thing. I mean, it's going to look like it is as we tape this on a Wednesday. This is preparing us well. It's going to be cloudy. It's going to be dark. There's going to be rain. It's going to be like 40-ish degrees somewhere in there. And with that eleven o'clock kick, you know the students aren't done studying yet. They got to get their homework done for the <laughs> They're weekend. They're not coming anyhow. I'm just yeah. telling you. So it's uh, it is a it's a it's a different place to play. It's not going to Camp Randall. It's not going to Kinnick Stadium or even the Big House, which was raucous. Yeah. It is, which in a way I, I think I'm interested to see because if there's one thing PJ and the staff can create, it's their own energy. <laughs> like they, yeah, yeah, no they, doubt. they bring that it. out of nowhere, yeah. right? So, but it is, it is a different challenge to go over there. And, and by the way, they're usually pretty good. That's the biggest yeah. problem with playing Northwestern. And you know what? You look at them, you line them up on paper and you say, athletically, we're more athletic than them at wide receiver. We're, we're more athletic than them at running back. We're more athletic than they are at quarterback and defensive back. And you just go down the list and you say, we shouldn't lose to Northwestern, but you know, every single year they figure out a way to win a bunch of games and, and they play well. And, and again, that's a hats off to to that staff there. But it is a hard place to play. I've been there, gosh, I bet you five or six times. And and uh, the only good thing about going in to play Northwestern is the hotel that we stayed at has great food. Some yes, of the it best does. food. You're going to get a chance to enjoy that on on Friday night. And the post game meal, Guardsy, in uh, at Northwestern, I always remember that as one of the players' favorites. There's a guy there by the name of a Herky <laughs> or Hecky. No, it's Hecky. Hecky. Hecky, and, I, and I, I swear to God, he he barbecues this stuff in his garage and brings it over, and I'm sure the FDA has never checked on the guy, but the players absolutely <laughs> love Hecky's barbecue sandwiches after the game. Wow, that's a good tip. That's yeah. inside stuff. Yeah, so you, better, you better make sure that, uh, you better call over and make sure they got Hecky coming after the game. Got it. I will, actually. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to do, because uh, those things kind of get lost in the shuffle sometimes, oh, you know, and, you know and that's what? the important that's stuff. For sure. You know, when you think about what's going to happen, the players will have, not to get us too far off track, but the players are going to have their pregame meal at 7 a.m. Yeah. All right? They'll try to eat four hours before they play. They're going to play a three-hour game, three hours and 30-minute game, and by the time they're done showering and everything, it's another hour after that. So it's a good eight and a half hours or so since they've had their last meal. So they're hungry. So what will happen is the players will get a snack at the stadium after the game, and then they'll eat a second time uh, on the airplane. Now, their snack after the game, Garzy, as you know, it's more like a it's a it's a meal for oh, yeah. a normal person. It's not a for snack a, for a player. It's a snack. It's but. more than a normal meal for a normal person, <laughs> especially when it's KFC. Yeah, there's yeah. like nine chicken yeah. tenders in that thing, and, and that's kind of normally what they get some KFC or or something like that, that that they box up and get there. But every once in a while, there's a few places where you can get something that's unique to that area. Yeah, 
Uh, and that's that's their deal with that post game meal. It's good. If you're going to the game and you're not going to be able to go in the post game food line, there's a hot dog stand called Mustard's Last Stand right across <laughs> the street. That's where the radio yeah. crew usually goes. Mike Grimm found that a couple of years ago. So that's where we'll be uh, post game as we. And the best part is you can see the buses from there, so you never worry that you're going to miss the bus. Like if you can see, you can kind of yeah. hear. You, all of a sudden, the exhaust comes in, and you know. All right, we better walk. We better finish up these hot dogs and get back across the street. Get so, it rolling. Uh, but they're going to play a football game at some point. In between all this food, <laughs> they are going to play a football game. We mentioned Northwestern. Uh, one thing that the, they've typically done pretty well this year is win the close games three consecutive until the last week uh, against Purdue, where they won by ten overtime victories. Iowa, Michigan State, and then Nebraska all in overtime. But let's talk specifically because you've schemed for this team uh, as recently as last year yep. when you were on the defensive staff. The quarterback, Clayton Thorson, probably their most highly recruited quarterback that Fitz ever had there for all the good quarterback play that they've had there with Simeon and Persa and all those guys. Clayton Thorson was one of those high-profile recruits, local kid, if I remember correctly. What do you remember about uh, preparing for him and then consequently playing against him? Well, I think that uh, what we we thought of him, he can do some things with his feet, but he's most dangerous when he sits in the pocket and and throws their, their West Coast stuff that they do. Uh, so he's a he's a real good player. The two guys that we we tried to scheme against were he, were he of course, and then the rest, the running back Justin Jackson. Yep. And what I've I've noticed as I've looked through the stats, I don't think that Thorson has had as good a year this year as I thought he might have. You know, he's throwing he's completing sixty percent of his passes, which isn't bad, but it's not outstanding. Right. He's got eleven touchdowns and he's got eleven interceptions, uh, which is unique for him. But they have had some big wins uh, these last, as you said, the last five games. They've won those games. So. Uh, they'll do a lot of short stuff. They do a lot of things where they throw it to a guy for five yards and, and try to get him to, to make a guy miss. Uh, then they're going to sneak Jackson. And the other thing is they throw the ball to Justin Jackson a lot. He's got 250 yards receiving this year to go along with his 850, almost yeah. 800 yards rushing. So he's a complete back. He you got to keep an eye on him. He's a lot like uh, Rodney Smith. He'll catch the ball just as much as, as he'll run it sometimes. But those are the two guys I think that we need to figure out a way to stop on uh, Saturday. If we can do that, we should be in good shape. We were talking before we hit record about their defense, how statistically there's kind of a little bit of an anomaly that you have to figure out if you're the coaches this week. Is we, we're not, I, I don't know about you, I'm not typically breaking down the all-22 of the opponent's tape. I'll watch the games and I'll, I'll try to get a flavor for some nuggets on the sideline and everything. But in terms of them defensively, the numbers would say they're really good against the run and not so good against the pass, but it's not always that simple, right? No. There could be a reason. There could be a yeah. correlation with that, guards. You know, the, maybe the reason that they're really, really good against the run is because nobody's running against them because they're having a whole bunch of success passing against them. Right. Uh, or are they that good against the run? They're stopping everybody's run, and, and people are having to throw. So I think that's that's what we'll need to figure out, and we'll need to figure that out early in the game, and hopefully we'll have success running the ball on them. Uh, and then, of course, the way their secondary looks, we should be okay with those guys uh, throwing against those guys as well. So. One of the interesting things to back up on, though, a little bit that I, that I saw here, Garzi, is Northwestern offensively has gone for it on fourth down 31 times this year. Really? Yeah, 31 times, they, and, they're, and they're having a success rate of 61%, which is pretty high. Yeah. They've, they've done that eight more times than uh, the next closest person in the league. So one, some, one thing to look for on, uh, on Saturday, a home game at Northwestern, if it's fourth and short and they're anywhere near the 50-yard line or in, they're probably going to go for it. Well, we've seen now with analytics for everything, the percentages would say if you play out the next possession even, you know, why not go? I mean, that that's a change, is it not, that we've seen in college football? Like, people are just, I think by definition, a little bit more aggressive than they used to be, right? Yeah, you're seeing a lot more people getting across the 50, getting the 45, 40-yard line. They're going to go. When you think about it, if you punt it, 
uh, you know, how much you're going to gain 20 yards. Right. Some people are saying, hey, let's take the chance. Let's keep our offense on the field, see if we can't get some points out of it. I remember that in Jerry Kill's first year. Um, that when we, so we've, we've always talked about that. You get even like, if you don't have a great field goal kicker, like that's the thing you want to minimize. Like with Emmett Carpenter, you can get it to the 37 and feel pretty good about trotting him out there, right? Because he can yeah. knock a 53 yarder pretty clean. You, you don't worry. And even Santoso a couple of years ago when he was the kicker, could kick it from 50 plus. But then there's like that next 10 yards where, or 10 yards after that, like, what do you do? Because right. you punt it in the end zone, you hit a bad ball, and then they you get it out to 20. Yeah, you're gaining 15, 20 yards. Maybe, and, yeah. And, yeah. And, and you just kind of, that kind of, you feel when you're there, I always get the sense from the crowd, it's like deflating when that happens. Yeah. Like, you're at the 40, you punt it, it goes to the, you know, it goes to the 20, and you're like, well, that was boring. Yeah, that's Why? real exciting. It just kind of like yeah. gums you down a little bit, you well, know what I mean? you know, at Northwestern, another thing, factor that's going to be a part of this game, too, is going to be weather. Yeah. And you get the wind that swirls in off the lake. You know, the campus is right right on the on the water there on Lake Michigan, and it's the, the stadium's two blocks away. So you do get some wind that does swirl around in there, and like I said, I've been there five or six times. I have not yet once seen the sun in Chicago. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's remarkable. crazy. I don't know if it's the water effect or what it is, Garzy, but it's a hard place to play. And it's too bad because they got that beautiful grass field. You'd think every it would all come together yeah. for you, but yeah, it's it's going to be Seattle-like conditions on Saturday, which is pretty typical. I think this is my fourth time there, and every visit has been basically the same. So I've got the rain gear. Um, they're which, playing pretty well. Maybe you'll get 20,000, or maybe it'll be a little bit better. Who knows? Yeah, I think it's know? their senior day because they it? go to Illinois the next week. So, But you even mentioned you know, the, the sleeper team. I mean, if they let's say they beat the Gophers and beat Illinois, they're seven and two in the Big Ten, and they right. won nine games. I mean, that's a hell of a year. It so, because you said well, Wisconsin's running away with it, which is true, but that's a strong second place in the West finish for Northwestern, which is yeah, which I don't. You know, some people kind of thought they'd be sneaky, but that's a that's a pretty damn good year right there. Well, yeah, if, it, if they play bet. it out, no question about it. Let's uh, broaden it out because it was uh, the cool thing about the eleven o'clock kicks. I actually got to watch college football. You know, when you're doing the night games. You get to see some of the stuff in the morning if you're at the hotel. And then once you get to the stadium, you're allegedly trying to get some work done and trying to figure some things out. And at least the last couple of weeks, we're always looking at the weather radar to see what's going on. But when you get home at 4, you get to watch all of these games. And there were some pretty compelling games. Now, if you're in the top five this week, or this past weekend, it was uh, kind of a gong show. Georgia gets crushed, crushed. by Auburn. Uh, Notre Dame, Miami, for all the buildup, we're all watching the 30 for 30 again. It's great yeah, having Miami yes. back where they are. And I'm all fired up for that game. My kids are asleep. My wife's doing some work at the house. And within like nine minutes, I'm looking for something else to watch because Miami just ran by Notre Dame. And then the f- great finish of the night was Alabama versus Mississippi State. Uh, the Tide's down seven entering the fourth quarter. Tie it up. Then they miss a field goal that you thought would be the game winner. Get the ball back. March down win the game, get out of there alive, and now they're back at number one in the college football playoff yeah, rankings. I'll tell you what, you couldn't, have, you couldn't have scripted it any better than what we saw just in terms of great games and, and, and upsets, and, and that's what's awesome about college football guards. I mean, it could happen again this week. You don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I did have a chance to watch the, the CFP last night, the college football playoffs, when they revealed the, the, their top four, the top six for this week, and they did, actually did the whole 25. But Yep. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens as this thing goes down here the next couple of weeks, and when you got the the last seat, last two weeks of the season, then also the the championship conference championship game. So it's going to be interesting for sure. To set the record, Alabama's number one, Clemson's number two, Miami jumps you know four spots from where they were all the way up to number three, and then there's Oklahoma at number four. So if the playoffs started today, which they don't, and as Ob said, there's tons of football left to be played. 
it would be Alabama, Oklahoma, and then Clemson, Miami in the national semifinals games. And uh, we've been saying it. They're the Wisconsin Badgers at number five, ten and zero. They crept up. Uh, they are beneficiaries of what was a wild weekend. And my theory still holds true. Ob, there's a lot of things that have to happen in front. Uh, just with uh, Alabama and uh, and Auburn, Auburn and Georgia yeah. and all those teams, there's a lot still to play in the SEC. But if Wisconsin runs the table and beats whoever's coming out of the East, I still find it impossible that they would not be in the college yeah. football playoff. And you know what? And I think after what came out yesterday, it sets it up for that. It does. Uh, no doubt about it. Because Clemson, if it, if everybody wins out, Clemson and Miami, and Miami will play in their championship game. So one of those two is going to have the extra loss, and they're, they're going to be out of there. Uh, probably what we see uh, in the SEC, you're going to probably have Alabama um, and that one. And let's say that Georgia does beat them, then they're both sitting there at nine and one. And and I don't know that you can leave either of those two out. Uh, and then you got you know then you got to you got to bring Wisconsin in. So that's how I'm seeing that this thing will shake down. I think Wisconsin is sitting in a good spot, provided that they win out, and provided they beat who I think will be end up being Ohio State yeah. in the championship game. And that's going to be I'm telling you that's going to be a great game. It will be. And those players are used to playing in that game, too. That's the other thing. Like, right. Wisconsin expects to be an Indian. Yeah, both teams. Yeah. Both teams do. Uh, yep. So, Wisconsin, though, all of a sudden we've uh, seen a Michigan team start to play a little bit better, and that's where College Game Day is going this week. Uh, Michigan's now back in the rankings. Wisconsin's hosting them. Uh, sneaky big game. I mean, it's weird to say, like, a Michigan right. game is sneaky, but uh, for all we've talked about, of Wisconsin running the table and getting to the Big Ten championship game, they're going to be in the game in Indy. That's already set. But a huge game nationally, the biggest game nationally, is right here in the Big Ten, Wisconsin and Michigan this week. Well, and you know, if you you take a look back at what happened last week, Wisconsin beats Iowa 38-14. The score doesn't make it look like it was a very good game, and and I didn't see any of that one, to be honest with you, so I don't know that A lot of turnovers, a couple of pick sixes, a fumble for a touchdown. Yeah, they did not play great. They had three turnovers in that game, and they're going to have to clean that up if they're going to go on and – Make it into the playoffs. They won't be able to do it that. And I don't know that they can do that this week if you know Michigan's running the ball the way that they have been. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I'm looking forward to following that game from afar. But you mentioned uh, the the way Wisconsin played, and it's just funny how college football is. You know, two weeks ago, the Gophers go from 150 yards in to start the third quarter to 100 yards to finish the third quarter. They go backwards 50 yards. Right, the right. offense is bad. We're all trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Uh, they put up 55 against Nebraska. And 500 yards total offense. 500 yards total offense. Iowa, two weeks ago, double nickels Ohio State. I think they put up 54 points. They're throwing it up and down the field. Nathan Stanley has five touchdowns. I think Iowa had like 66 either total yards or rushing yards against Wisconsin. It was total yards for the game. Five, five first downs. Think about it. So they look like world beaters at Kinnick Stadium against Ohio State. You know, yeah. Theoretically, there's some players on that field. <laughs> And Wisconsin, of course, has a great program. I'm, I'm not trying to say that it was a step down by any means, but you think you feel like, wow, Iowa's figured it out. Stanley's coming around. Wadley's coming around. They've got a great cornerback, and they can't. They literally do nothing offensively. If not for the defensive touchdowns, they probably don't score. And that's right. just, I mean, we say it all the time. Week to week, you never know what the heck is going to happen. But that those two weeks for me are like a great microcosm of you really have no idea of what's going no on. There's no telling, exactly, no doubt. And is that why coaches go crazy? Is that why, is that <laughs> That's why, why none of us have any hair left, and what little bit we might is all gray. So. That's why coaches are all weird and they're all paranoid and because uh, they, they never know as, as much as they try week to week uh, what's going on there. So uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, we've got two little more uh, main topics here in our last five minutes or so, OB. Another job opened up. Butch Jones finally put out of his misery. Uh, in Tennessee, that was uh, kind of a, a really negative situation this past uh, this past year. It's just been a weird deal, and, and what's crazy about that is 
know, two years ago, there's Tennessee on the rise. They're right. you know they're young. They've got a good quarterback. They're winning nine games. They're winning bowl games, and everybody's thinking this is the guy that's bringing Tennessee back to where they should be. And two years later, it shows you how quickly time moves. Uh, he's out of a job, but another uh, job opening. I think you told me the the number is six yep. now. Six BCS jobs. Yep. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in the in the main deal. So uh, what what's your reaction to that? And and how do we handle the whole coaching carousel here in the final couple of weeks? Well, you know the interesting piece of it. And this is something that's relatively new to it. Used to be the coaches weren't going to get fired until the end of the season. Right. And now we're starting to see more and more of it. Now we actually even start to talk about it, and people are expecting it. And and you feel bad about that again. I've been I've been through it a couple of different times. And right. It's a, it's a bad deal. Now it's a terrible deal for for players. It's a terrible deal for coaches. It's a terrible deal for you know it sets your institution back theoretically in, in some cases and other times it doesn't. But it's a hard deal. So here's you know as I look at it, Florida's open, Tennessee is open, uh, Old Miss is open. You know those, those kind of are, are schools in a class by themselves. You got Oregon State, Georgia Southern, and UTEP also open as well. Right. Um, and I would imagine now as we get closer, there's going to be, you know, there'll be four, five, six more that, that come open here within the next couple of weeks. But it's a hard deal, Garzi, no matter which way you look at it. What gets kind of interesting and kind of fun, though, after you get through the bad part of it is the speculation of who might land where. Yeah. Oh, it's wild. Yeah. And that's rampant. It <laughs> yeah, never uh, stops. Whose buyout is how much. Yes. And, you know, what's it going to take to get a Scott Frost to leave Central Florida to go yep. to a... You hear his name at Nebraska. You hear his name at Florida. Yeah, well, that's you, know? you brought him up that because he's the the coach of the moment, right? Right. Given what he's everybody done in Central has, Florida, they're, they're hot. He's hot, and everybody knows you know his pedigree as a player, and then as an offensive coordinator, and he's really continued the work that George O'Leary did at Central Florida. I mean, remember he had a pretty good right. thing going on as well down there in Orlando. But that's one thing that I'm you know I'm I'm media technically, so I usually side media when it comes to coach or player and me. Usually I'm the one arguing for my side, right? I mean the coach has his side, the the media has their side. I'm I'm typically on the media side, but when it comes to what's going on in Nebraska, with not the open speculation, but the open campaigning to bring Scott Frost home, not just on talk radio like host to host like you right. and I, but bringing in the new athletic director. And asking him about, hey, what do you think of Scott Frost? Well, Mike Riley has not been fired yet. All indications are it's not going to end well for him for a number of different reasons, which is too bad because he's like a top five guy of all time. I love that guy. Right. But that that's one thing I'm a little uncomfortable with, and, and we're part of it. And I put the media responsible for that is that you know to, to, to openly not just speculate OB, but campaign for a guy, ask an administrator about a guy. And then I'm a little disappointed in the administrator not just shutting it down and saying, guys, I appreciate it. I know you've got a job to do. With all due respect to all of our coaches, I'm not going to comment on anybody. I don't even know if I can openly talk about another coach at another institution. I don't know the rules there, but th- th- that thing is just rubbing me the wrong way a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and obviously with my background, I'm going to fall on the side of the coaches. Yeah. And like I said, I was part of that you've speculation lived you know, a couple of times. And I was part of with the with Coach Brewster. We were let go in the middle of the season. Uh, and again, I was fortunate. I was I was kept on when the next staff came in, and and uh, and, and had uh, uh, opportunities each time that I've been through one of these deals. But it's bad now. You lay in bed at night uh, thinking about it, you know, and your wife and your kids and and the players. They're not sure what the, what's going to happen with that whole deal. So it's it's a hard hard deal, and I don't. Uh, I don't wish that on anybody. It is part of the business. We do get paid a lot of money to right. be in this business, and we know that's all part of it. And and it's very rare that somebody ever gets out on their own. Most people, you know, they say you're you're hired to be fired, and yeah. 
there's some truth to that statement, but it's a tough deal. And, and you know, that, like I said, get through a couple of weeks, then we can speculate and, and all that sort of stuff, but it's hard. That, yeah. is, that is the one place where radio guys and coaches can find common ground in uh, the uh, business. Uh, you, you know, you're on a clock. <laughs> yep. we're, we're all one day away from closer from being fired or done. That's the one place <laughs> and we one can find phone call away from being replaced. Yeah, that's you know? exactly There's right. Always somebody that will take that job, but it'll be interesting to see what, what Scott Frost does do because you know, everybody assumes, wow, Nebraska must be a dream job for him, whatever going back there. Florida's not a bad gig either, especially if you no. have, especially if you have ties there already and have had some success there. That all that almost might be, you know, the uh, the the better leap, right? I mean, to go to go to uh, to go to a place like Florida where they've won a national championship as recently as 6 7 years ago. Well, if you think about that program, that program is not very old. Right. You know, they haven't been playing football that long. When you think about, you know, here at Minnesota, you think about Wisconsin, you think about Nebraska or some of those We've been playing football for a hundred years. <laughs> I don't know when when they started that program. Maybe you can look that up, Garzy. But it's not that old. And now you think about in in Florida. You, would you rather live in Orlando or would you rather live up in Gainesville? I would tell you, for me, I'd rather live in Orlando. Really? Uh, than See, Gainesville. I don't know anything Absolutely. about Gainesville. Yeah, it's a no, different. It's I've like, been through it. I've recruited it. And yeah, there's not a whole bunch of there. Um, so I don't think it's a given that he that he leaves Central Florida to go to um, to go up there to. to to Florida. Well, and you never know. What has also changed, what has definitely changed, um, 1906 is the, is what they say for Their Florida. Their first year of football? Yeah. At Florida or at, Central Florida? At Florida. Yeah, Are you talking at, about Central Florida? Central Florida. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Central yeah, Florida. Yeah, hang on. I wasn't listening. This is why a podcast is great, because you can do this stuff on the fly. Um, what's interesting about what's changed the last 10 years as well, and, and this has happened in basketball a lot, too, and I think the Gophers, I think uh, uh, the old athletic staff, Norwood Teague and Mike Ellis, found this out when they fired Tubby Smith. The the mid-major guys are getting paid a lot of money now. Right. Uh, you know, so it's not where you had to go to just set your family up for the rest of your life, right? In the last 10 years, the guys from the lower conferences, they're making good salaries. Scott Frost is making a good salary. It's not... It's going to change his life for sure. I mean, if you go from a million to two million, that's nice. I'm not trying right. to say that, but it's not that financial obligation. So these guys can be a lot more patient as well. That they don't have to just say, "Well, I'm hot now. I'm going because I might not ever get another chance, and I've got to take the money while I can." They're making good money basically wherever they are now. Well, and you take a look at what Central Florida's done on in the last couple of years with football with him there, and as you said, George O'Leary before him, they're winning games. You know, and all of a sudden they're I think a top fifteen team right now. And what's to say that they can't be the next school down in Florida that that ends up being a, a national brand and a national deal? And certainly, being in Orlando is not a bad place to be. Well, some call Orlando the happiest place on earth. They'll be <laughs> if you go to Disney World. <laughs> there you go. Especially if you're 15 or under, right? <laughs> 1979. Yeah, you the don't first think season. About that. Yeah, that's so not very long. That's basically it's less than 40 years. I mean, I'm 35, so do the math. That's about 38 years that Central Florida's had football. So. Uh, interesting. So that that's what we'll. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some more openings as the uh, as the season goes on. Power Five, uh, the Group of Five, all of those things. As we wrap up, OB, because we've hit the 30 minute mark here. As always, it goes fast. Uh, any final thoughts as we get ready for another week in November, which proves to be crazy in college football? The only thing I'd leave us with when we get when we talk about the playoffs and uh, and all that sort of stuff is don't forget about the Barry Alvarez fracture in Wisconsin. Barry Alvarez, it, it was on the committee for a number of years and of course is is highly regarded and well respected in the football community and I and I will believe that he'll have some influence on that committee if Wisconsin puts himself in a situation where they uh they're one of those final four teams in the pick and uh don't 
count out Jim Delaney just generally as well. <laughs> Big Ten, well, right? the Big Ten needs to have an influence on there. We'll have a problem now if, if Wisconsin and Ohio State play in the Big Ten championship game and Ohio State beats them. Yes. We will have a problem. It's going to be, no uh, it's gonna be, be fascinating. We can talk about that next week. How about that, Garzy? Well, that's a good tease, and what, what other people have speculated, and we can broaden this out, this would be the year, if Wisconsin did get left out undefeated, which I still think is impossible, but if there is no Big Ten representative, Jim Delaney's going to be banging the drum for eight teams in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, because that, that's coming, right? We all know that's coming down the pike at some point. That's got to be coming down. Just to, you know, you can guarantee, and we'll talk about this more, but the five conference champions all get in. Then you've got three at large. Three at large. You have yep. room for it the group of five. Yeah. You got room for like a Western Michigan last year, for example, or when, uh, you know, when Northern Illinois you know, made the BCS game a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, that, it'll be eight pretty quickly if a Big Ten team feels like they got slighted because Jim Delaney will just pick up that little phone that he controls the world with, and he'll make a call, and all will be right with the world. Well, I was certainly think that uh, if there isn't a Big Ten team in there, there will be there will be some uh, discussions had behind the scenes, no doubt about it. Enjoy the uh, coffee and the breakfast before the 11 o'clock kick against Northwestern. We'll talk to you Sunday. Fabulous. Thanks, Gargi. That is Dan O'Brien, former Gopher coach, former Gopher administrator, our co-host all season long here on the KFAN College Football Podcast. A reminder... Gophers Northwestern does kick off from Evanston at 11 o'clock. It'll be rainy and cold, so feel bad for me again, as I know you do every single week. And then Gopher Football Sunday, our review show, will be on the fan at 8 a.m. OB will join me as well right around 8.40. Thanks for finding us on the Gophers On Demand channel here at iHeartRadio. We'll talk to you next week.